Welcome to the Master of None or One podcast, or as we've abbreviated it, Master of Podcast. Did he just say they are the masters of podcasting? Nope, but it sure sounds like it. The naming is intentional. This is a podcast to educate us through people's life experiences. And as we've had these conversations, it has shown us not everything is always as it seems or is perceived. The premise of this podcast was taken from the common phrase, a jack of all trades, but master of none, but better than the master of one. Join us as we talk with different people about their life journey and how they became what they are or may seem to be. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. We are on our next podcast episode of the Master of series. And with us, we have a wonderful guest by the name of Priyanka Joshi. She is a biochemist. I'm going to let her give a better definition of who she is and what she does. Um, But I will give the full disclosure of I'm very excited about this conversation because she is the first person that's not a friend of mine or connected to a friend of mine that's actually uh, wanted that's been open to being a part of this conversation. I found her literally by Googling uh, influential women in the UK and she came up in an article of uh, one of the 25 most influential women of the UK in a Vogue article in 2018. Um, and so I was very curious about what she's uh, working on, what she studied, uh, and that kind of thing. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Yeah, and thanks for finding me, by the way, you did. like on. on I'm glad to know that I'd come up if you just Google inf- you know, influential women in the UK. Although I'm not based in the UK now, I'm in, the, uh, yeah, I'm in California. Yeah. Okay, very good. Um, okay, so I guess my first question would be just so people kind of know who you are. Oh, I should also put in here, my wife, Stephanie, is also on this episode. Um, she's the smarter one of the two of us. And uh, I also enjoy her perspective on most things. By most things, I, I mean everything except where, you know, the things that she doesn't enjoy about me. I don't enjoy those perspectives. So <laughs> But uh, she's also on the call, uh, so uh, or on this podcast. Um, but yeah, so maybe Priyanka, if you would want to maybe just tell us a bit more about yourself, what you do um, for work, kind of what you're, uh, obviously I talked about you being a biochemist, so maybe just tell us a bit more about yourself, what you do, as well as why you do what you do, like what got you into it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so I'm a biochemist. Uh, I would rather call myself a scientist who asks questions, mm. is curious about living organisms and, and you know, just goes along. Um, so uh, what I do, so I have been interested, I'm interested in studying human aging, specifically aging in the context of, you know, diseases, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS. Um so there are certain genes that makes uh, a person's, uh, you know, a person more predisposed to having these. And that could be, that's like familial uh, Alzheimer's that could be passed on from, you know, uh, in families. Uh, but more often than not, like most of the cases are sporadic. So someone just just gets it, uh, you know, after a certain age, say after, the, after 60 years of age. Uh, so what I'm interested in uh, right now is to understand what triggers the disease and if uh, metabolism, which is essentially how your, you know, how your body is uh, sort of functioning as a response of its uh, environment. And, you know, uh, and, and we know that metabolism changes as we age. So I want to understand that if and how metabolism can contribute or, you know, there are, there's a lot of evidence that sort of shows that it could. So I'm just, I'm trying to understand how it does that. What are the key molecular features and, and when this trigger, this switch happens? Because, um, yeah, so this is like very basic information that, 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 that's something that I want to know of. And, uh, and I think like, uh, 
it's only when you know this basic information, this fundamental knowledge that you can go towards therapy and uh, design therapy. So uh, because now you know what's 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 what goes right in a healthy individual and what goes wrong. So how can you how can you sort of switch the you know from the wrong to the right? So uh, so so eventually, yeah. So with this knowledge, we can we can find out we can develop more uh, therapeutic therapeutics and, uh, and and also like diagnostics. Um, so yeah, so this is something that I do uh, on a day-to-day basis. I um, I go to the lab. I you know design experiments, do them, do them. Uh, on some days, it's great when I see something new, and it's fascinating because uh, you you actually like the, the, uh, I mean it's like a part of a big puzzle. You know, it's like a big question. How, what causes Alzheimer's disease, but you cannot answer that big question in one go. You have to break it down. So it's like you find you ask smaller questions and then you just put the puzzle together and probably we're going to find the answer to the bigger question. So these experiments that we do like on an everyday basis are those little puzzles, these little questions that, you know, you ask. And and it's fascinating because, um, you know, sometimes you end up seeing something in the lab while doing an experiment that no one else has ever seen before. So, so that is really, really cool. Uh, and and uh, and even like um, you know, you're just by yourself alone, and and you just see. But but yeah, this is. Uh, but of course, it comes after some amount of failure. So you do things, and things yeah. don't work out. You optimize, and then eventually you see. So, um, yeah, and then uh, you work. I mean, we work with other people as well. They're not like really big teams. But sometimes um, we work in smaller teams and often we have to collaborate with other teams, uh, other people sometimes who are based across the border in a different country, in a different continent, because, uh, because you know, um, you need experts in their own, uh, from their, uh, and oftentimes you need, uh, you need physics, you need techniques from physics, uh, uh, chemistry, uh, to, to, to to uh, to sort of look at this problem, and and for that you need experts from those areas. So um, so we do collaborate with people you know outside or in different countries as well, um, and and that's the thrill of it because uh, you you end up interacting with people who are equally excited, sometimes more excited, and 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 very brilliant. So it's like you challenge your own biases sometimes of looking at a problem, you. Um, yeah. Uh, look at it from different perspectives because everyone brings their own perspective and 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 yeah and together you just want to you know grow uh, and 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 know much more about the disease um, about what you're doing so um so i think on a day-to-day level that 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 is uh that is quite exciting um, quite a thrill i would think to find something new in the lab yeah yeah so the next question i would have is because you talked about the being fascinated with the you know, the diseases of the brain, that kind of thing. But is there like a personal reason, like, is there, have you known people with Alzheimer's and dementia that like, as you were studying that kind of drove you into that field? Like what made you kind of go into that line of science, I guess, when you were looking at like, you know, cause obviously science is very broad. What made you kind of go, mm-hmm. no, that was the one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, it came, I mean, there's a personal reason uh, which I'll talk about, but but largely like, you know, uh, during my PhD, um, 
I got to travel a lot, and uh, and I got mm. to meet. So if someone asks me what do you do, uh, I mean, if I tell them very complicatedly, you know, like I work on proteins and and I understand, no one would understand. So I I, I would be like, oh, you know, I'm 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 trying to understand Alzheimer's disease, and and I have these conversations almost in every trip of mine with uh, people in the cab mm. or maybe someone in the train. or you know an airbnb yeah. and they would be like hey you know my mm-hmm. grandmother has it or we know someone who has it yeah. and uh, and we want to understand it more or uh, is there a cure what can they do puzzles can they do this you know and they would tell me what mm-hmm. their um, these relatives were doing so so that that made me understand like uh, sort of um, you know that how important understanding this disease is it's been 100 years since it was first diagnosed and we don't have a cure yet so how important wow. it is to understand the disease but also how it affects people people's lives and they're willing to talk about it so uh sab so is like okay i'm doing something that has an impact and that was something that uh i have uh you know one of my very strong values was to help people to you know to make a difference and and that sort of just aligned very well with it because i could see uh you know that it is going to help people what i'm doing uh the other thing that happened was um so during the second year of my phd i was diagnosed with glaucoma which is a neurodegenerative disorder that affects old people so i was only 23 yeah. years of age at that point and doctors were like oh you're very young you shouldn't be having this and they asked me that uh, does someone in your family have it and i said no and and i, I know that i'm not adopted so you know uh no one in my family has it so they were like well it's rather strange that you have it because people at your age shouldn't you know after 60 or uh, people can and and it sounded very much like the disease i was studying so i i delved a bit deeper yeah. into it and i found out that glaucoma is also neurodegenerative it affects you know this optic nerve that connects the eye to the brain which slowly degenerates over time mm-hmm. and uh, and how it does yeah. we don't know there's no cure but it can be treated so um, so yeah so i spoke mm-hmm. to a lot of doctors and and had these conversations around it um, i lost my vision for 3 weeks i mean temporarily so uh, but but i think that gave me a lot of perspective and um, you know and that what i'm doing is useful and and what happens with these with you know when you're studying diseases of old age is that uh, if you understand and that's what goes back into why i want to understand why i wanted to understand the fundamental processes because if the hallmarks of this these diseases like these aggregates are common amongst all of them then how they are triggered or how they form when a person forms old there must be some commonality there as well so so yeah. of course i'm not directly working on glaucoma but i was like maybe if i find mm-hmm. answers to the other things then you know aging in general then i can I can find answers to what happens in glaucoma. Yeah. So weed doesn't cure glaucoma. Uh sorry, is it uh <laughs> smoking weed like marijuana. Oh, um no, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea about that. <laughs> Cuz that is a common like I know it's a it's a comedy thing, but like isn't it true that they have actually diagnosed that as like medicine to help treat it for like is that accurate where they've actually like Yeah there are like I don't know there are studies that come out and say yeah. that marijuana can uh can <laughs> cure but I would be a bit skeptical about that I mean if or I would just yeah. say that people have it and they hallucinate and suddenly they're like oh I got my vision back although you know it's, 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 that could be the reason I feel Yeah very good So you know since like you said these are things that have to do with aging and if we're mm-hmm. kind of looking for cures obviously these are things that affect you like you said you know mentally you're processing all that but will that link i'm just curious are we then going to like start finding treatments and things that prolong life in general you know will that be linked kind of 
Yeah, so that's a very interesting question because uh, people are looking into this. So people who are studying aging are looking on how the longer people, you know, just to increase healthy years in a life. So if you're living under 80, then make sure that when you die at 80, you've led a good quality of a healthy life. So uh, so, so yes, yeah, some of these treatments or some of these uh, therapies would involve um, pushing the boundaries of lifespan as well. uh because essentially you're reprogramming tuning the body into you know it's more youthful state uh, in like at the molecular level um so yes but to how much extent and how applicable it would be to each individual um i'm not sure about that at the moment it's fascinating yeah. to think about all the knock on effects because you know if a person is living healthily you know 80 healthy years it's not likely mm-hmm. that they're just going to drop off at 80 you know what i mean from yeah. being perfect healthy. So I would think there's going to be lots of, yeah. you know, population growth and all kinds of interesting things to but yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, no certainly. Uh, of course it wouldn't be but but the idea here is to reduce the comorbidities as much as possible. So rather than someone dying from Alzheimer's, okay, someone might just have high sugar levels, might have like uh diabetes, but that diabetes won't result in something which is going to uh, paralyze the person for, you know, a couple of years and make them bedridden. That's what you don't want. So it's yeah. to reduce the comorbidities yeah. as much as possible, you know, but but push the lifespan. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's, no, that's great. That's that's amazing work. So then because yeah. why science like do you come from a family of scientists like what was the driving force of my I you know I'm really feeling purpose in science where does that come from Uh so my my father studied science but he gave up science to become a banker and okay. uh, uh and uh, but but I think if you studied science you always have that analytical frame of mind so So I'm grateful that you know so he sort of introduced me got me a lot of books science books and uh, and and even at home uh, so I used to visit my grandparents my maternal grandparents and my grandfather who's no more now um, so he 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 was never uh, so this is back in India and that's where I grew up and um, uh, so my grandfather was not formally educated but uh, he was a building contractor uh, but he wanted to do he liked doing little experiments in in you know in the backyard and just to make his buildings you know better so for example improved ventilation or improved water or you know supply and stuff and he and my grandmother would be very upset you know because he would spend money on these experiments and but it was a joy for for me because i would go uh, during my summer vacation and and i would see what he's doing and and i and i remember he had made this solar exhaust that he presented in one of the you know science congresses in india at the age of 85 oh wow oh wow uh, so and he would take us take me like for walks and sort of you know show me uh, the natural things so i think that really helped in terms of like you know uh, like asking questions mm. and i asked like why people do experiments but yeah but i never considered becoming a scientist because i just didn't know how you become a scientist like if even that's a profession or not because because yeah. uh, i was growing up in the 90s and you know yeah. and uh, you don't see many scientists around you like uh, all that i knew was you know einstein or newton <laughs> or uh, marie curie but 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 i didn't know how yeah. you become how how you can get that so i yeah. wanted to become a doctor because i used to go to the hospital many times because i was sick mm. so uh, so i was like oh you can help people and you can discover a cure or you can help people by becoming a doctor but i think it was yeah. like this chance chance meeting with uh, my friend's dad 
uh, who asked me, so he was a botanist and, uh, and and he asked me like, what did I want to do? So I said that I want to, you know, I want to find a cure for a disease. And and he said that, how do you think you're going to do that? So I said, uh, oh, I'll become a doctor. But he said, you know, doctors diagnose and they, they treat, but, 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 but do you want to do research? And I didn't know what research meant. So he slowly like guided me how uh, he told me what research entails and he asked me to take up basic sciences. And for me at that time, it was that, you know, how this, how at that time it was that I was like, oh, if I have to study basic sciences, people are going to think I'm not clever because, you know, I didn't get into engineering or medicine. That's what people do if they are, they are smart and they get good grades. But he said, no, like, you know, look at the subjects and sort of go and satiate your curiosity. Like, like, and, and you need to understand those, you need to know the basic sciences very well. So I found a course, uh, a degree course, which was about 24 hours away from my hometown in a different state, in a different, um, uh, you know, city called Pune uh, in India. And, uh, and I sort of convinced my parents and they were like, okay, go and go for it. And, uh, and, and I'm very grateful because that I made that choice along the way because yeah. uh, that course like helped me. I met people, my seniors, and uh, I was introduced to, uh, you know, different like in subjects and I did research right from an undergrad level and, uh, and, and, and that's how I got into it. Yeah. I love how one conversation can just change the course of everything that he took the time to yet kind of, even like you said, stroke that curiosity and even asking you questions, making you think about what you were wanting to do and why you wanted to do it. Um, I love that. Like that, that's very inspiring. The, there's a few other things in here that you've said that I really like that I want to touch on. But one of them was where you made the comment about how a cure could be connected to the to curing the others. So if you're able to find one that could maybe connect to curing other diseases. Because um, I like the idea of just the connection of being able to do one thing that can affect the many. Or you never, because I've always liked the kind of like the cause and effects, but also what I always like to talk about of like, the unintended consequences. Um, maybe a bit of like, I mean, this is my basic science understanding of kind of like the whole like mold becoming antibiotics, um, how it was like the unintended consequence and those kinds of things. So I, I think that's actually very fascinating. I guess one of the questions that I would have then, because you kept talking about was just your, like you, like you said, when you started, you don't like to consider yourself a scientist. You like to consider yourself someone that likes to ask a lot of questions. Um, where do you feel like that curiosity comes from? Because I would be of the same vein of, and I mean, even Stephanie would be the same vein, where we're just very, we would all be very curious people just asking a lot of questions and trying to figure out why. So like what I even like to say to people, which I found out later that I stole from Shrek, which is very terrible, but the idea of like peel back the onion, not just the top yeah. layer, but kind of keep going deeper into it. Um, where do you feel like you kind of noticed like that because you're you're very self-aware to understand that you have questions and like questions to kind of keep going deeper into it when did you kind of notice that in your own personality and in your own kind of work style and do you kind of know where that maybe comes from so I would say I note I started noticing these little things from back in school uh I mean I was decently well I used to get good grades but uh, I never like you know was like super great in uh, in my studies that I would always come first in the class I was not that but but I used to look at things differently like I would ask different questions or like you know why do you need to score high marks like these are just patterns that you would follow but what really happens uh, when you you know uh, when you do it the other way 
but um, but of course at that point it was more about getting marks and so I I try I mean although I had that in me I just kept it on the side but I feel that uh, my parents did a very good job at raising me and my grandparents as well because they never I mean at times they would be like okay you know we're middle class find something that pays bills and we're not sure if doing a phd is going to do you know or you know going that way it's going to it's going to do that but uh, but they yeah. but helped me uh, they never told me what to do they were like how would you do this mm. or you know what or they would and they would they gave me a ton of experiences like going to the museums going to the parks and and just exposing mm. me and not telling me so yeah. i think that that really helped in uh, mm. in in uh, yeah uh shaping up my curiosity i would say and yeah. uh, and as some of some of the like one first experiment that i did uh was when i was 8 which i remember because you wouldn't call it as an experiment but in my whole head it is uh because my mother uh uh, uh was trying to conceive my little sister she's 11 years young my, my sister is 11 years younger than i am and my mother was planning to go for an ivf so um so she had to go through this ultrasound and you know the follicle size increases so those numbers changed and and i would i would because for me it was like the excitement of having a sibling and how would i get a sibling if these numbers changed in a certain way so i started noting down those numbers and um, and i would ask my mother who would not tell me the details but she would you know just say that okay if the this this increases at this point it, to this magnitude then you know the chance of you having a sibling in the next so many months is is higher so i started writing down those numbers and and i think that was like the first thing that i sort of like of record yeah. keeping and of you know observations that that was just like mm. when i was when i was when i was almost a, like okay yeah that's cool i love that I think that's great. I love the fact that you're doing your own experiments as a kid. And I do I I love that like you said they would ask instead of just telling you or just mm-hmm. instead of just doing it instead of just showing you they would ask and kind of again like stroke that curiosity within you. Okay, so then my other question I had from what you were talking about is because you were talking about how obviously doing all the experiments, asking all the questions that can obviously lead to a lot of failures along the way. Um mm-hmm. how do you not get bogged down or worn out by the failures how do you keep going and pushing past the failures pushing through the failures and going you know what i'm not going to let that one stop me i'm going to do it again knowing that i mean a lot of the experiments are going to be nos but that's it's a lot of nos to get to that yes so how do you kind of endure through that process um well certainly the failures walk you down and you feel shit you feel really bad about it uh, and there is no immediate way of helping you come out of it for sure yeah uh, these failures could be you know yeah, some experiment and work sometimes these failures would be you were scooped someone has worked on your idea and you don't know about it and now what you do yeah. so um, or it could just be yeah. you've just had a bad day uh, you know you worked yeah. and uh, it nothing just worked out and it's not yeah you don't yeah. know or a paper got rejected so So yeah, so you feel really bad about it. Uh, sometimes it helps to talk to friends uh, to have a different mm-hmm. life altogether. So you know, mm-hmm. uh, just just change gears and go and meet friends or or do something that excites you outside of work. And yeah. uh, I, and for me, I found that in um, in in teaching, uh, in teaching kids uh, back in India over Skype. So I did that for a couple of years. Uh, and that gave me a different you know perspective to life that okay mm. i'm again i think it goes back to the value of having you know helping others so so i think that kept me going in one way uh, having a really good support network of uh, people who you can hang out with and uh, engage you know uh, uh, i like dancing so i would just go and 
dance um learn mm. I, i learned from I'm, i'm still learning flamenco for the last five years so oh, uh, so the thing is that when you encounter failure there's no way out of it it's just that you have to accept it and you have to and uh, accept it that this is rock bottom and the only way out of it is that you're going to take to take a step to get out of it sometimes you take steps and it doesn't help and that has happened with me it all depends on how you think about it and that's what i've learned that it's the narrative that you keep telling yourself you know you know uh, over and over that um yeah it's a, again the bigger picture i guess like you know this is the bigger yeah. thing that you have to do so just come okay this is part of life and uh, and and just get over it as soon as you can okay scientists what do you feel like is the uh, if you had to give a rough estimate of what's the ratio of how many failures it takes to get to some kind of success what do you think well i think it's different for different people there's no one number i would say but from my personal experience i mean um i've written smaller i can tell you about smaller grants so you write grants to get money to fund your project and um sometimes i've written one grant and it, uh, i got it sometimes i've gotten rejected 10 times and uh and did not know why i got rejected like and and gotten accepted you know after that um so so i would say that definitely like uh for every one acceptance there could be rejections in tens or uh, you know in the fact for sure yeah yeah, yeah. okay um so that your your comment about dancing leads into kind of one of the premises of the podcast is do you consider yourself a master of one thing or you know because obviously science would be or biochemistry or anything along those lines would be what i as an outsider looking in would say oh that's that's who you are that's what you do is there other things that you're like oh i'm actually really good at these things too or are you kind of like a, no yeah this is kind of like my passion my driving thing this is what i kind of like to hone in on i think it's rather relative yeah, for me yeah. so if i could yeah. be called like okay there's one thing that i'm passionate about and something that i know well um decently well but of course again relatively there's lot like in science there's always like yeah. so many things you don't know yeah, yeah. so uh Yeah, yeah that would be my research like you know aging biochemistry uh what what I'm looking into uh but I feel like there are other things that I like teaching I like uh, I oh. I think I think I'm decently good at that uh, mm-hmm. uh and I'm good with kids uh like you know when I'm teaching them and mm. uh and dancing yeah I love dancing uh and mm. my friends say that I mean it's always like you know externally they're like you're good at that my teacher would be that you pick up the dance very well so mm. I took flamenco when I was spiritually impaired because I wanted a, another place of confidence you know it wasn't coming from what I was doing I was like I would lose my vision and I would not be able to do what I'm doing which is research because I won't be able to see so what else can I do so I think flamenco which is more like you know you don't need a partner you just do it yourself and it sort of mm. uh, it helped me sort of connect with myself and my teacher pointed out the first time she saw me she was like priyanka your feet you know have you done kathak which is like this indian classical dance before and and i was like yeah i did that when i was like really like really really small but it was only for a couple of weeks but she could see that movement in my in my feet so i think i had already like somewhere in my brain that connection was formed in which mm-hmm. i could i just had to explore yeah. it further and uh, and yeah so so i don't know if i can call myself 
absolute terms, I would say. I would still say it's relative because there's so many yeah. things that you can still do. It's not nothing like I yeah. know it all. I can, you know, there'll always be yeah. some uh, bit of yeah. Actually, I think there was something I looked up at one point in one of these conversations that said a master is actually one that would consider themselves to never know everything in that thing. Because that's mm-hmm. what allows them to be a master is they're willing to say, I don't know, I'm going to keep learning, keep growing, keep excelling mm-hmm. by the mm-hmm. fact that I'm going to have the humility of I don't know it all in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so hence why me as the outsider would say, no, you would definitely be a master. Probably also just because I would have no clue what to do if I walked into your lab. Um, <laughs> I, my, my existence of knowing what a lab looks like is Hollywood of like we've been watching House. So that, uh, that's, that's, that's the, the, the lame American that I am. That would be my extent of going, wait, I may have seen this device on a TV show. Um, but yeah, no, completely fascinating to me. So then another question I would have is what keeps you in your field of what you've been doing? Of like why, why obviously you're passionate behind it. But obviously, it's not always easy, like you said, the getting rejected for grants and different things, or there's times where you do kind of where it's a lot, so you would want those kind of reprieve, that kind of thing, all very natural things. What would, what would you say when it does come to the hard times, though, that, you're, that you would say, no, this is why I keep at it. This is what makes me keep with it. Um, this is why I am willing to, to devote so much to my life of you've now, you know, you studied you grew up in India, you also studied at Cambridge, you're now in the U.S. Um, what makes you, what, what keeps that drive going even when it's not easy then? I think it's the, the drive comes from the times when it's going fine. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. how I would describe is that being happy and satisfied in the moment. So I've often found myself um, doing experiments that I've never done before, that I never knew I could do before, I was capable of doing before. But feeling absolutely joyful like very happy just being by myself in the lab at whatever time it is and doing that not caring or not I mean of course caring that it should work but not uh, knowing at that point that you know if it's going to work or not just the process of being there and doing something Uh, uh, I think that it gives me joy it gives me uh, you know and but in in my head you know knowing that this is this may might contribute to something bigger and it's going to help someone uh so uh i think just deriving that happiness because i feel that sometimes a lot of people uh, uh, i mean i've spoken to friends and they're like we don't know what we want to do like you know uh we don't know uh because we've, we've tried a couple of things but we don't know i think i've just been lucky and fortunate enough that i found what i like uh no matter what pain or whatever it brings along with it. I think that's just a part of the game. Uh, but I'm really happy when I'm yeah. doing that, like in the process of doing. So I remind myself of those days when things get really bad. And yeah. I remind myself of the good people and the greater things that this may contribute to. Um, and how I got here, that's another thing. So I feel that uh, I've been, uh, I've this opportunity that you know I've got along the way, the people who are the mentors who have had and uh, I try not to uh, not to forget like how I got here, um, rather than why or you know it just happened. So so it's been a it's not been a very easy journey. And just reminding myself of the fact that because I'm here, I do have a sense of responsibility, a sense of purpose. So I should I mean I can slack for a little while, but and bury myself under you know all the gloom and all the misery. But it can't go keep going on for long because I have to do what I have to do. So yeah. Okay, very good. Um, Steph, do you have any other questions that you would have? 
I was just going to say, it's interesting to me to hear you talk about the failure, but then the reward is just kind of a good reminder that really anything in life, the higher the risk, I think the higher the reward, right? You know, so the, the types of things that le- lend themselves to lots and lots of failure, often once you get it, it's a massive, you know what I mean? Like you said, there's such, there's a bigger picture for you. So when you make a discovery, it really has the potential to help a lot of people, you know? So that helps you to push through the the failures or the trying times or whatever, because the reward is also so much greater. Um, no, I, I don't think I have reached that point yet where, you know, uh, I'm like, oh, I found what I was looking for. Uh, I think I'm still, still on the... How long have you been doing what you're doing? So in the field, uh, largely I've been for eight years now. Like this is starting of my PhD. Uh, but... Something that I'm doing right now, I had to, I just started the beginning of this year. So I had to learn a lot of things from scratch, which I had never done before. So, so although I was in the field, there were still a lot of new things that I had to learn and I'm still learning right now. I think that is the scientific timeline. It takes a while to, uh, you know, it takes uh, a long time to get something going, especially when you're working with biological samples because there's so much heterogeneity in there that you have to keep repeating. I mean, that's not that's not very much fun when you have to keep repeating the same thing over and over again and then you see it doesn't work, but it is what it is. So uh, uh, so that's why it takes a long time to, to get something going. Um, and, and yeah, I haven't, uh, because I've just... I've just been driven by my own questions, by my own curiosity and not by some, maybe my own goal, I don't know, of what I want to find. I think that's what has kept me going uh, despite like all the years and I haven't gotten bored or I haven't gotten like, okay, this is the end because there's so much more, you know, sometimes you answer one question and it opens the doors to so many more that, uh, and that's how science keeps going. Like, uh, you know, sometimes they're like small steps and uh, it's uh, it's something that I think what Newton said was like, you know, standing with whatever I've been able to find is like standing on the shoulders of giants. So uh, uh, I, and I've heard like a lot of people quote uh, quote that, which is which is true, because um, everything that you find out is by the past research that has happened for so many years. So you keep taking steps until you find that big thing. And it, it takes I mean, people devote their entire lives to it. So it takes time. Which makes me so much more thankful to hear in perspective like that, because without people being willing to push past years and years of either failing or not finding, you know, answers, they're willing to just keep asking and asking and asking until finally, you know, something comes about that then we're all benefiting from. Yeah, so I would say that it's something, again, it depends on circumstances so not everyone uh you know there are a lot of phd students a lot of people who join at some point think that oh this is not for me i and and that can be driven by various things and i think academia now is working to address those factors which is that uh a lot of things that happen in a workplace in terms of uh, how people are treated or or you know how uh, how in like the day-to-day process of uh, uh, how things happen, like sometimes politics comes in, sometimes, you know, uh, so so that can sort of also uh, discourage some people. Uh, yeah, it's difficult to say. It's like sometimes people are in the process and you just find out this is not for me, like this is not my cup of tea. I'm, I would rather, you know, do something else and people do something else and they exceed, excel at it. They're wonderful, like they get into policy. 
policy, they can do science communication, go work for consultancies, and they're great at it. So I think it's also about finding, it's like experiencing it and finding what suits you, which I think goes back to, um, which helped me, which was like uh, aligning my value system with what I do. So the moment I was able to find that alignment, I think the other things were just like noise. I feel that uh, I could I could just focus on that, that, okay, this is what drives me. It's close to my values. And when you're doing something that's close to your values, then then I think it's easier, uh, like relatively easier, I would say. I think the things you're saying, though, apply to so many different areas of life, even even as you mentioned politics, you know, and I think, you know, if it wasn't for you being willing to not be satisfied with saying we have no cure for Alzheimer's, you know, what I mean, there, there, there are plenty of us who are aware of that and we're just, OK, it is what it is. But for somebody to say no. Mm-hmm what's it going to take for us to get there and push and push for years and years with teams and all of that stuff till one day that hopefully is not going to be the case. And it's going to be like, Oh no, the cure is this, you know? And I think like you mentioned politics, I think it takes some of us being willing to say, no, I'm not satisfied with Mm -hmm. things as they are. I don't know the answer that's going to, you know what I mean? And, And not everything is as clear cut as science, but I think there are many areas in life where we have to be willing to uh, kind of lean into our dissatisfaction or discomfort and say like, well, let's ask the questions. And even if that opens another can of worms, let's keep asking the questions and let's keep going there and going there and going there. And like you said, it just, it just builds. And so yeah. I think this is just a beautiful example of how, you know, and whatever, like you said, and whatever, triggers you and and motivates you for all of us to kind of keep pushing into that realm of curiosity and stuff for the benefit of others, even if not ourselves. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That that is it. Like that, that's how it is. You start, uh, and that's what happens when you're writing grants. I guess you you propose so and so in such a timeline, and then something else happens, and you find that exciting. I mean, it still stays in that, but you're not doing exactly what you what you thought you would be doing. Uh, so you're right. It just it's just that the bigger driver, and then you just keep 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 going. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well. What I like to do at the end is, especially for the guests, is there anything you would want to add from our conversation? Anything you would want to say? Anything you would want to put out there before we sign off on the conversation itself? I would just want to advocate for science, basic science. And I would say support Mm -hmm. science, uh, support facts, um, uh, support data, do not follow misinformation, and always read everything that you do with a little bit of skepticism. Uh, look for the uh, look for the facts out there and verify them because uh, right now in the internet, uh, like you know, a whole lot of things are available, and especially with the COVID nineteen, for example, going on, uh, the pandemic going on, uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there, and scientists are trying to communicate what is right to the best they can, but oftentimes it's misrepresented. So I think it's the responsibility of you know the readers and people who take the information to sort of have that scientific skills. So I think we should all become citizen scientists, is what I feel that whatever information that's presented in front of you look at it with some, some a little bit of skepticism and do your own little research around it to make sure that that's, that's, that's right. Yeah. That was the best ending ever. I think that was probably <laughs> some of the, I think the whole conversation was great. I loved all of the gold we were able to take out of it, but that was also very practical and very well said. 
So yeah, thank you for ending on that note, especially. Very good. No, thanks for taking the time and uh, thanks for uh, doing this. Obviously, eight hours time difference and coordinating between the days and all of that. Uh-huh. Obviously, you're busy. And uh, so yeah, so just want to say thanks for doing it and uh, hope thank everybody you. else enjoyed the conversation and the time together. And thanks for joining us for this episode. Thank you, yep. Steve. Thanks for joining us in this conversation. If you know a master in their field of expertise that you think we should talk with, feel free to send us your suggestions at contact at southsidefilms.com.